This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you and such a busy, jam-packed, star-studded show for you today. We were in conversation with the man who goes by Ferdinand Thor, whose work into breathwork, ice baths and mindset has quite literally turned his life around. We were speaking to superstar surgeon Dr. Paul Nassif of Botched Fame about dangerous surgeries, what makes a good candidate and even aftercare too. It was your live dental clinic. Dr. Hassan from the dental studio was on hand as we talked aesthetics, pain and getting over your fear. He is the bearded tooth fairy. Plus, meeting two amazing women, both psychotherapists who are on a mission to talk about life after cancer. You've had the all clear, but what are some of the complex emotions and mental health issues that these women face? Plus, meeting a young entrepreneur, Connor is just 10 years old, flipping the script with his flipboards. Joining us now from Daring to Live, we've got two psychotherapists. We've got Jennifer, who's been through cancer herself, and Larika, who's also a registered nurse who specialised in chemotherapy. Now, from next week, they are starting a support group for women. It is all about Daring to Live. It's for those who've survived cancer and looking at the many emotional challenges that can come after the all clear. It's wonderful to have you both with us today. Thank you so much for your time. Um, It is Breast Cancer Awareness Month and rightly there is an awful lot of emphasis on checking and early prevention. But I am so grateful that you're bringing to the table this topic of survival and that what next piece. Um, Jennifer, I'd love to start with you. And if you you would be so generous as to share a little bit about your own battle with cancer, would that be okay? Yes. Hi, Helen. Um, Yes. So I'm I'm Jennifer and I had a lymphoma cancer um, and I had chemotherapy. Um, I came back to Dubai after my treatment, after having had the all clear in March. And um, it's quite an experience to come back. You know, you're well, well, you're you're cured, but you are expected to be normal again. And uh, you're actually, fine now, yes, which is not at all the case. Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually very challenging, not only physically but mentally, to adapt to a, a new normal. And it takes time. Mm-hmm. It really takes time. And Erika, do you get many people coming into clinic with this on their mind? You know, having beaten cancer, but are now feeling a bit lost, I guess, for want of a better word. Absolutely. I mean, they lost, but also a bit of, they lost the security, right? They're normally, uh, during treatment, you're surrounded with doctors, nurses, everything is there as a security. But then when you cleared, what is there? Mm-hmm. Then I'm left and I'm, they're supposed to say, or the doctor says, I'm fine. What is fine? I don't feel fine. What does fine mean? Mm-hmm. Or what does normal mean? What, what am I going back to? So that's one of the questions that... And that's what we're looking to be addressing this this half hour because you've started this group that's going to be launching from next week. And I wonder, Jennifer, if you wouldn't mind speaking to what your mission is with this group. So I'm very fortunate because of the job I do. I know how to ask for help. I know where to get the support. Um, And I feel that, you know, coming back to Dubai, there is not much of that around. Um, And people don't necessarily know that they need to uh, seek help or get some support. And, 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 and I think having a support group will be ideal for 
people who just want to figure out if, you know, what they're doing is okay or what they're feeling is normal. Um, and I think, you know, there's lots of research about groups, how, um, how it is mentally very, very um, beneficial. Fortifying. I think, um, I think it takes an awful lot of bravery to speak up and say, I know I should be feeling fine, but I'm not. And I, I'm, I'm sure there's an awful lot of people who will echo that by going, me too, I feel the same, me too. Mm. And it's, it's that coming together where there's such power in going, do you know what, I'm not okay, but we're going through this together. So I guess my question to you, because who is it for? Who, who did you have in mind when you put together these weekly sessions and addressing some of the challenges? At first, we thought about a lot of cancer survivors but then after going through the agenda and talking to each other we realized that no we we would actually start with women um because we want to separate it um i think that there is um we don't know how it is with men yet but we've thought about it it will be very different mm. uh, groups and we will uh, also this is for women above 25 so yes. this is really about creating this safe space of coming together and talking about something which we we love our friends and our partners to be, mm. you know, as supportive as possible, but they're not mind readers, then they can't be expected to understand what somebody's been through. Is that something that you've heard from clients in the past, Jen? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, um, mm. patients often say they don't want to worry their family. They've been through already so much. You know, I can think of my own family and it's quite hard. And you try and put a brave face. Yes, it's not so painful. I'm OK today. But, you know, you feel like you're just constantly moaning, especially after treatment, when you feel stiff, you feel aches everywhere. You're paranoid that the cancer's going to come back. And, you know, you don't want to burden people too much because they'll get sick of you, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, don't be silly, you're fine, you, you've got the all clear. So I think it's really nice to be in a group where, you know, we sort of all understand what's going on. And it's okay to say, you know, how bad you might feel just that day, or what achievements you've done in the last week, you know, it's that kind of space where we can just explore these thoughts whether positive or negative and we're going to be normalizing some of those challenges next um joining us in studio from the psychiatry and therapy center and daring to live we've got jennifer and luica um two psychotherapists up next we are going to be talking about some of the mental health issues that can arise post the all clear which i know sounds ironic but my goodness having so spoken to people about this group to a number of uh People I know, it seems to be a resounding, this is so needed. We're going to be finding out why next. Joining us from Daring to Live, we have got Jennifer and we have got Eureka. They're both psychodynamic psychotherapists. Jennifer's been through cancer herself and Eureka is a registered nurse also who's specialised in chemotherapy. And from next week, they are starting a free fortnightly support group for women. It's going to be at the Psychiatry and Therapy Centre in their community space there. And it is for women this time in particular who have survived cancer, looking at some of the emotional, mental challenges that can come after getting the all clear. Um, Arika, would you mind telling us a little bit about the programme and why you've chosen to touch on certain topics? What came to mind immediately when you thought, we need to do this and we need to be talking about, what was it? Oh, there was a lot of things, you know, came up when we were speaking about this and a lot of topics that we thought was really not speaking uh, spoken about, not being addressed enough and just being left because we, for example, one of the topics that we really speak about is uh, side effects 
And they can be acute, but it can also be chronic. Mm -hmm. Why am I so tired? Why do I have fatigue, for example? Like, and then there's the emotional side. I was, we were just ch chatting earlier. My friend Charlie is, has got stage four breast cancer. And, and rightly so, you know, when she's been going through chemotherapy, she's met people in hospital. She's been introduced to people saying, oh, you know, my friend's also going through cancer. You should meet her. But she's lost friends along the way. And I think that's been hugely challenging of grieving when you are going through treatment yourself. You know, survivor's guilt, Jennifer, is that something you're going to be touching on? Um, I think some people do have survivor's guilt um, because they've seen um, their, I don't know how to call them, their companion, you know, die mm -hmm. uh, like I have. And uh, you do, you know, you see all their families and you do get very upset about it. But um, I think one of the the worst things that can happen as a cancer survivor is the anxiety of the cancer coming back. So any aches, any pain, you imagine the cancer being uh, coming back and spreading. And that's uh, a really hard part of being a cancer survivor, especially when you're in that uh, remission pop. So for two years, I have to see a doctor and to make sure that it's not come back. So mm -hmm. that's, I think, a really, really difficult part and it's hard to explain to anyone that you're, you know, having nightmares about cancer that yeah, coming but, back. But also, every time you go, your checkup is approaching, of course, it's rising again. The, the anxiety. anxiety. Like, okay. And then you get a clear. And then you're, most of the people I, or patients I see, they're fine. And then we're approaching a new checkup. And then mm -hmm. it happens again. Um, would you mind talking us through, I guess, the program? Because you've put together a fantastic I don't want to call it a curriculum, but I'm trying to think about <laughs> how else to phrase it. Um, would you mind talking yes. to us? It's going to be free. It's fortnightly. So can you tell us what's going to be so, in store? So, so we have got an agenda. Um, it's about it's for people to, to share what they want and how much they want to share. I don't want people to feel that they have to speak uh, and say everything. You know, this is as much as you want. Mm -hmm. So the first week we'll be talking about a new normal, adjusting to physical and emotional changes. So that will happen to anyone who's been through something quite traumatic. And both Ulrika and I know that having support in any life event is really important. Mm -hmm. And how do you manage life going forwards? Um, because you will have changed. Cancer will have changed you. Um, and then it's also sort of, I think Ulrika said, dealing and adapting with long-term side effects of the treatment. And there's lots of different t treatments. There's chemo, there's radiation, there's, uh, uh, you know, surgery. So that will be, you know, how do you manage that? You know, it'll have an effect on your um, body image and how you feel about yourself and um, how it's changed you physically. Mm -hmm. And, of course, mentally, that has an effect on you. And this can be, I mean, to, I think that body image piece is actually really, really important interesting and important to touch on actually my friend was just saying she's having a styling session she's having someone come to her house because she's gained a lot of weight because mm. of steroids yeah. and treatment and she's like yes. h like nothing fits anymore and you know i'm wonky now you know so what i wore before doesn't work anymore and i think even sharing that to say i, I don't feel like myself anymore i don't look like how i thought i would mm. yeah you know well, yeah it's mm. it has a huge it can have a huge impact Identity but we will anything. be hopefully helping uh, these women to you know, gain a bit more self-worth, self-confidence and, and, and manage their daily life better, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. also hearing from others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not alone. There are others that are going through exactly the same thing I'm going through. What about um, relationships? Because, you know, unfortunately that can be something. And sometimes it can be friends who don't have the emotional 
capacity to help a friend going through cancer. It can be a strain on a relationship, you know, financially, emotionally, a marriage even. Is this something you're going to be addressing? Yes, so we've got week four dealing with relationships and how relating to one's own self and others Mm. has changed because it does change, you know. Um, friendships do change um, it's interesting when you go through something like this who is helping you and who is not helping you and how they go about that um, and also you have to have a very you know if you have a partner they have to be very strong and 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 and, and patient and and I've heard I've had patients where um, their partner leaves them when they're halfway through their chemo because they cannot handle that mm. and that happens and it's it's devastating not only have you lost yourself but you've also lost your partner and mm. it's tough you mentioned earlier about tiredness and fatigue and you know it's no secret we're living in a very busy demanding city and and week five it's going to be about addressing some of those challenges about i mean dare i say it the power of saying no <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, so self-care. And I think that's a phrase that is um, bandied around and has kind of lost a lot of meaning because it's not just about going for a manicure every week. It's, it's about sometimes it's about protecting your energy and your time um, and uh, some of that practical support. Now, in week seven, I understand you're going to be talking about toxic positivity. Can you unpack that for us briefly, what you mean by that and in terms of wh- how it's relevant to cancer survivors in particular? So I, I don't call what I've been through a journey. For me, a journey is mountains, the seaside, nice food. Uh, for me, it was a nightmare. And I think somehow we all are meant to say it's been a journey. I've learned, I've grown, I've had strength to f- combat this. And I mean, it's a very personal opinion, but um, I think it's okay to actually also say that was it was... bloody awful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think... People are worried about saying that because how they affect the others who are listening. Mm-hmm. So I think it's there's some positives, but there's also some negatives. And again, it's about saying it's OK to feel what you're feeling. You don't need to be sanitizing and putting a pink ribbon on, you know, on what you've been through just because that's what other people have done. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you and I'm asking you as, as um how do you think people listening today? And, you know, we know that cancer is going to touch the lives of unfortunately everyone listening today whether it's directly or indirectly for those who are the friends who are the partners what are some of the the practical emotional steps that can be really really useful and Jen I'm going to ask you this as well obviously having been through it but what do you think can can really help to show that you're there never give up right to never let the person down but also like sometimes not ask how are you because that's I mean, when you go through treatment, like, how are, how am I? Because um, while I'm fighting for my life, how am I supposed to feel, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very much like, uh, like just signal that you're there. And you can do that in so many ways, right? Jennifer, what was it for you? For me, it's um, um, when uh, someone says, oh, let me, if, if there's anything I can do, just let me know. Um, you can't even think about the next hour. If someone wants to help just action that help just go and pick up those kids go and make those meals go and uh give uh the partner a break by saying you know i'll sort out the house be practical don't say let me know what i can do because that person will never come to you and say actually can you go and pick up my children at four and probably don't have the capacity don't make it their problem (laughs) be be specific 
That's right, action absolutely. It. Just got goosebumps. Um, guys, thank you so much for coming in and, as I said, raising a topic, something that I think is not addressed often enough. And the Daring to Live support group is starting from next week. It is going to be um, community in the community room there at Psychiatry and Therapy Centre in Healthcare City. It's completely free of charge. It's open to women over the ages of 25. If you want details of it, just send me, send me anything. Send me group um, send me cancer it doesn't matter I'll know what you mean on 4001 and you can use the ARN Play app as well the WhatsApp as well I will send you the link on how to sign up um, but I can't think of two two better women to be leading this and, and thank you so so much for your time today really really appreciate it Rika and Jennifer With me now all the way from LA is TV doctor Paul Nassif the star of Botched Season eight is now on. And Doctor, I want to know, how did this show start and how has it evolved? You know, it started actually with a simple idea of having dinner with my one of my producers and ended up on Twitter. It was actually trending, the word botched. Then there was botched viewing parties. And so now we have about 5,000 people a year apply for the show. And now the other great thing about it, it's open to international patients. And so it's, uh, you know, I mean, listen, I can't believe it. It's, you know, 165 different countries. I mean, in in some ways, it's incredibly encouraging that there's such interest in it because people want to see the happy ending. But it's also really heartbreaking that there are so many people that really need that expert help. Um, in terms of that international, um, I'm curious, you're here in Dubai, you're, you're based in the US, but you travel a lot internationally. Would you notice lots of different plastic surgery trends depending on the geographical location? I will tell you... Um, here in the Emirate countries, it's the same as California. I mean, we have a lot of, uh, you know, the, um, a lot of the Middle Eastern folks, of course, are in Beverly Hills. They come out there and they visit and we have surgery, you know, and, and I've actually have a lot of patients out here in this region. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, they like the same thing. You know, when it comes to fashion, plastic surgery, I mean, this is exactly the same. Dubai, Beverly Hills, they're equal. Dr. Paul, you've been in the industry for decades now. What about trends over over the years? And, and where do you feel like we're at now when it comes to plastic surgery trends? Well, uh, you know, it keeps going back and forth on the pendulum of going extreme uh, to maybe not so extreme. And when it comes to, for example, I'm a facial plastic surgeon. And what's happening now post-COVID for me is besides always rhinoplasty, nose jobs and revisions, which, you know, I'm internationally known for, but I'm doing a lot more neck and face work called deep plane face and neck lifts. That, especially, you know, even starting in the 40s on up, that is becoming something that is becoming so popular because people just want to look good, rejuvenated. I'm Not sm- different. I'm smiling yeah. because I'm 41. And a big topic in one of my WhatsApp groups is what can you do about your neck? And there's lots of, you know, high food, let's do lasers, let's look at the, and, and the big takeaway seems to be if you really want to be transformed in that area, we need to go and see a doctor such as yourself. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, there's so many different minimally invasive procedures that are going to help a little bit. And we tried them all. But really, as you mentioned, to make your neck look fantastic, you do need a little bit of scalpel work. I'm you feeling really it. self-conscious sitting in front of you now. Do you find yourself meeting people socially and kind of doing a quick assessment going, 
Oh, if Absolutely I, if I, not. Really? I've been doing this for so long. That's the last thing I do is when I'm out <laughs> is look at someone's, well, I can do this on that person. Absolutely <laughs> Even not. Even mentally. Of course I don't do that. And, of course, you know, when I get asked out, well, what would you do to me? You know, the answer always is you look fantastic. You look fine. You saved me now, a question. Now, here in my office, different story, but, you know. It's something. <laughs> I'll relax a little bit more. <laughs> um, it must be a hugely rewarding job, Doctor, um, to think about just how life-changing it can be. And, we, we, you know, we, I think a lot of people can minimize the, um, it, you know, the significance that aesthetics can have on someone's self-confidence about their ability to be in the world and socializing and be in the workplace. Are there any transformations that have stood out for you over eight seasons now of Botched? Wow. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I will tell you that almost every season there is at least a few transformations that really, you know, when you have these patients that, uh, and I'm going to get to answer your point in just one second, but when you meet all these patients, and a lot of them didn't think they could be fixed, and you're able to help them some way, even if it's an improvement, Mm -hmm. and really how it is on their psyche. But this season, coming up on season eight, and it might be broken up into two parts, There is going to be the complete series, Best Transformation, coming up, and it does involve something on someone's face that I remove. When you see this, and I don't want to actually break that surprise right now, you're going to know what patient it is. Everyone's going to know that, and they're going to say, yes, that is a massive transformation. Dr. Paul Nassif with us today. The upcoming regional launch is underway now, season eight of Botch on OSN and OSN+. Plus. Can we talk dangers? When we're talking about trends, we're seeing a lot of, um, how can I put it, derriere work. I'm trying to be yes. delicate for regional audiences. Um, and this does has come up time and time again in terms of being one of the most dangerous surgeries. Um, can you explain a little bit about what can make a good or a bad candidate for surgeries and how do you make that call as such an experienced sure. surgeon? Well, first of all... Um, let me answer what you were just talking about. You were talking about what we call BBLs, and that's the, um, you know, injecting fat into the derriere. Uh, and it is dangerous. And one thing on the show, Dr. Debro, and he's a total body plastic surgeon, he talks about that and the dangerous because it can actually kill you. It, it can happen. And the reason why you get a little fat into a blood vessel, then it travels up to your lung. And I think um, in many of the states now, with plastic surgeons, a lot of them are now using ultrasound, and that's one of the, the rules, I would say, to actually look where the fat's going so that it doesn't, you know. And especially if you have an experienced, you know, certified, board-certified plastic surgeon, and they know what they're doing, they do it all the time, it's still not, of course, risk-free, because there's all risk with plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it should be safer. You know, and when it comes to, um, you know, a good candidate for, you know, surgery, patient, no matter what it is, one, they have to be realistic. They have to understand that they're undergoing an elective procedure, which has risks. They have to be psychologically and physically healthy. Mm-hmm. And you notice I use that word psychologically. And thank you for raising that because yeah. I think we've all um, seen situations, and certainly not with you guys, but sometimes the surgeons that end up having patients in your, in your clinic who, when we think about being a profit-making in a healthcare space, there's always going to be this, these ethical questions of you know, patients being taken advantage of. And unfortunately, that is why the, they find themselves in front of you a lot of the time. So that psychological assessment of 
the reasons, but also balancing their expectations. Mm-hmm. It's like when you go in with a haircut and you get the, <laughs> the hairdresser goes, well, that's Beyonce and that's a wig. You're never going to look like that. You know, you can only work with what you've got to work with. Do you feel like sometimes expectations are just off? Well, that happens all the time. I mean, that's something that our goal is to educate patients. Like we see it on the show or in our real life practice, it happens. Now, I will tell you something, though. Our goal when we're doing this is, especially with me on the show, I'm a little bit firm with patients, and I really drill it in. I've seen this. You know, I (laughs) drill it in about basically you're not realistic and you just can't do that. Mm -hmm. And especially when it comes to some of the revision nose jobs that I do, you know, and they want to, you know, have a certain beautiful nose. But sometimes when you've had seven or eight surgeries, it's impossible to do that. You Plus, it has what to match you, your face. Because you haven't got what the material that you yeah. need to work with. We, it. we just can't do it. Or it may not even match their face. Or even mm-hmm. if it's a first-time rhinoplasty, you know, it has to actually balance with the patient's face. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're, we're really careful of explaining that. But that's one big warning I want to tell everyone is that, remember, it whatever you do, it has to balance and match your face. And if you do go to a doctor, you have to make sure that doctor is an experienced surgeon in exactly what you want Mm -hmm. and is a facial plastic surgeon or a plastic surgeon and really make sure you're getting um, the right expertise. And they presumably should be transparent about work they've done in the past, about testimonials, about their accreditations. This is not the time to be getting a buy one, get one free deal that you might find on the internet. Um, Dr. Paul, I wanted to ask you a little bit about social media and how perhaps that's changed beauty ideals. Are we seeing younger patients than ever before and could we look at some of the filters or do you feel like the appetite really hasn't changed in your time? Oh, it has dramatically changed the younger crew because of the filters like you just mentioned. It's called filter dysmorphia which means a lot of these young folks what's happening is they're getting used to playing with all the different filters and sometimes they even influencers, they don't look like themselves. So when they actually are seen in person, there's that wait a minute, this really does not look like you. So sometimes, so one, that causes a problem. Sometimes that could even cause bullying. And two, they'll come sometimes to the plastic surgeon's office and say, can you make me look like this? And the answer 99.9% of the time is no. It's interesting because a lot of those filters do kind of fetishize this, this big eye and often a tiny nose as well, just a little, t- a little tiny, tiny button nose. So it's going to be really interesting to see just how much that feeds into these beauty ideals over the coming, uh, coming years and decades. I've got young daughters and I'm sincerely hoping that we're going to be getting past this filter dysmorphia by the time that I allow them to have a phone in 10 years' time. Um, I wanted to lastly ask you a little bit about pre and post care. Sure. Which is it's not just about coming in and having, having an appointment. And this is really advice to anyone in Dubai who's considering surgery. What can people be doing to really set themselves up for the best possible recovery after a surgery? Sure. I mean, the biggest thing is being healthy. Uh, A lot of fluid, a lot of protein, um, no smoking, of course, and following the doctor's instructions. That's what's really key and important, whether it comes with the pre and post-op. So, for example, we have a list and we tell them, here's what you need to do to get ready for surgery, whether it's even through using my skincare, NASFMD. That's just prepping their skin for surgery. So we have to prep Inside and outside, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then postoperatively, you know, that's where you really need to take it easy. You need to have the proper diet and the proper protein. And that will helpfully help you with success for your post-op recovery. Lastly, season eight is showing now here. Um, you mentioned one dramatic 
facial surgery. Is there any other standout cases that we can look forward to over the coming season that you're really excited for people to see? Oh, yeah. There's a big transformation where I'm using a piece of the forehead to reconstruct a nose following a skin cancer. Uh, But there's also more of the transformations of kind of like we did one year of botch by nature. And there's going to be a lot more of those patients with a lot of mouth and lip reconstructions Mm -hmm. and face reconstruction, not just nose. So there's some very heartfelt stories um, that are tearjerkers. Um, with great transformations. And then the other thing that's going to happen is you're going to see, you know, me on the show going to be having a little bit more fun, a little bit more relaxed with Dr. Debrow. We're going to, our interviews are going to be a little bit different, a little bit more um, sitting down next to each other. Our office space is going to be a little bit different. So there's a nice refreshed look. I mean, this is the season to watch because it is full of all kinds of surprises. Well, thank you for all of the hard work you're doing back in your native states and here in the UAE. Hopefully we'll be seeing more of you, fingers firmly crossed. We're working on that. We're working on that. Exactly. Love to come back. Thank you so much. Season 8 of Botched is now available on OSN and OSN+. Plus. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, I think it's safe to say you will have heard about some of the benefits of practicing breathwork and, yes, ice baths too. Our next guest, both of these practices turned his life around to the point where he's now teaching others around the world, but happily here in the UAE too. He goes by Ferdinand, a.k.a. Thor. How are you, sir? Hello, Eden. Nice to meet you. It's so good to have you with us. I mean, in the UAE, but in studio as well. And I think who better to talk to about some of the philosophies and, and mindsets about something that has really exploded in popularity. And some of it is you know, a bit of an Instagram moment, but it's much, much deeper than that for an awful lot of people, including yourself. So I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about your journey, because you did go through something of a dark time in your teen years. Thank you very much, Helen, for having me here. Actually, I was completely lost in my life during all my teenage years until I was even 26. And it is these activities that sound so ma- mainstream now that actually changed my life. Mm-hmm. Breathwork, ice bath, and mindset. Tell me about your teen years. There was some depression, there was some substance abuse going on. What, how, how bad did it get, though? I felt like um, the reality that was offered to me was not matching uh, with who I was and wasn't bringing me happiness, that I lost myself in these substances. Mm. And I just got lost and I lost my faith in humans. And uh, now it came back. (laughs) You're building communities internationally, online as well. Um, How important is that human connection when it comes to getting people out of their dark mindset? I have learned one day that uh, shared sorrow is half sorrow and shared happiness is twice happiness. So by definition, when you're happy, it is good to share it. Mm -hmm. Well, let's inspire people this afternoon. I want to know a little bit about the turning point for you. Tell us, take us back in time. With pleasure. So we are moving back uh, five years ago. And actually, I have absolutely no belief that breastwork or ice will change my life. And I had a member of my family, the only one that I was caring about, he told me, do it. You have to do it. You must do it. Why did, why, where did it come from, from him? He, he, he'd had some experiences himself? Actually, he was in a very bad place as well. Okay. And uh, he discovered this method, and uh, this Wim Hof method. And uh, in a few days, he already saw benefits. So he just shared it to me because he loved me. And at the beginning, you know what I said, Ellen? I said no. No, thank you. No. Looks I freezing. Said, no, no way. 
I am not going to do this. But one day after another, one breath after another, one ice bath after another, the changes came. Tell me about the first one, though, because a lot of people get very scared. You know, you see this tub of freezing water, ice bobbing on the surface. And that's, <laughs> that's a big mental, physical leap to put yourself in a situation of discomfort or perceived discomfort. Tell us about your first one. How did it go? So the thing is, at 22, I already almost uh, have a bad experience with hypothermia oh on my, my own in the, in the snow in the winter. Oh my gosh. Um, so my ice bath was actually not too bad, but it was still very intense. Uh, fortunately, I had a good uh, trainers with me. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, if you feel calm, any stressful situation doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The first one I did, I surprised myself. Amazing. And I think that that's something that is... I hear from people time and time again. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could sit in a nice bath for 30 seconds, never mind five minutes. And what it taps into for, I think, an awful lot of people is just how much more capable and strong we are than we give ourselves credit for. I guess that our perception of reality is always full of programmations that we have from our past. And uh, when we jump into the ice bath, we realize, oh, I thought I was going to die in this ice. And actually, five seconds later, I'm feeling amazing. Mm. It It is about the coaching, though. You know, and having someone experienced who can look you in the eye and say, I am here for you and with you. And it goes even beyond, I would say, it's like, you are safe. Two minutes in the ice, you are safe. Mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit what happens in the body and the brain? And we'll talk about breathwork separately, but with the ice baths in particular, as I said, we've, it's definitely gone mainstream now. We've got lots of um, opportunities to put ourselves in, in a in a plastic pot full of ice like a, you know. Um, but what is happening in the body? Um, oh, have we, do we have any tangible studies about the actual benefits of it? So when you jump into the ice, you have a massive spike of adrenaline. The adrenaline, it's a stress hormone, but it's a normatic stress hormone. It's a good stress, not like the chronic stress that creates a lot of problems. When you have a spike of adrenaline, it's physiology. Your inflammation level in your body drop. So you start to feel actually good. You're like, my God, my knee is not painful anymore. My throat is not painful. I feel fully charged. And on top of that, when the inflammation goes down, the serotonin, the hormones of happiness, of well-being can be released. I'm like, oh, it's over, thank goodness. Oh my God, I'm feeling amazing now. <laughs> We've had a message um, here from Tim saying, can you see a benefit after just one or do you need to repeat it? That's a really good question. What have you seen and experienced? So I would say it's like going to the gym. When you do the first time, it's sometimes a little bit difficult, but you see straight away after that you're pumped up, that you feel strong, that you want to take on the world and, and share your energy. It is absolutely the same with the ice. Mm-hmm. But the more you do it, the best. Ferdinand, a.k.a. Thor, with us this afternoon. And uh, we, we'll put a photo on social media so people will understand exactly the Thor connection. His company now, Tribe, is here in the UAE. We'll be talking about how to get involved and get in the water in just a few minutes. Plus some of the myth, myths and misconceptions he's heard during his time. conversation now with Ferdinand, a.k.a. Thor. He is here in the UAE, thankfully on a permanent basis with his company, Tribe Superhuman, talking breathwork, mindset and ice baths. We've had a number of messages for you, Thor. And in fact, a bit of a theme emerging, people asking about age. So lower limit, upper limit and anyone that perhaps shouldn't get into an ice bath. Can we, can we start with kids? Is it suitable for kids? So I believe that kids are already so well-made. We do not need to push them into a lot of breath work or a lot of ice baths. But what I guess is that we can start to make them comfortable with these tools. 
So they can use them sometimes without pushing. So they know they have these tools in their back pocket without making them practice too much. I was just talking to my daughter last night about um, about being nervous at school. We were talking about things that she got nervous about. And she's a really interesting, like, physical kid. Like she, you know, she'll throw herself you know, off a rock jumping into the sea or she, you know, trapezes and you know, she's, she's very confident like that. But like many kids, when you're asked by your teacher to stand up in front of your class and read something, that's where I think a lot of people get anxiety about public speaking from. And I said, oh, what do you do? And she said... Oh, you know, I um, I know how to breathe to calm myself down. Amazing. And I said, did someone teach you that? She was like, no, I've worked it out. I was like, you're she eight. Knows. You're eight. You know, 30s, 40s, 50s upwards, you know, we still haven't figured it out. Um, so there are some really good breathing techniques suitable for kids. Um, is there anything you want to share with us now on the on the breath front? So, Ellen, I guess you have some people riding right now on your audio. So we're just going to do 10 seconds on 103.8. <laughs> Let's breathe by the nose. Slowly. Just relax your face, you relax your shoulders, and you breathe inside, bringing the air to the bottom of your belly. Just in and out, a little bit more. Take a moment, just five seconds more. In and out, by the nose, and at the bottom of your belly. One last, for the pleasure, in and out, and out by the mouth, the last one. Ah, good, beautiful. I think Dubai is feeling a lot calmer. Also, Please record some podcasts. It's a pleasure. And <laughs> <laughs> um, what are some of the myths, the misconceptions you've heard over the years about about ice baths that you maybe now you have a platform with us this afternoon you want to address? I guess sometimes it is really seen as a performance, which is not ice bath. It can be done with a lot of peace, a lot of calm. It is not about forcing it, mm-hmm. and ninety five percent of the people can do it. There is some conditions that cannot, but ninety five percent of the people can. So let's enjoy these tools. You've helped 10,000 people get uh, kind of some control over their mind, boost their confidence, as I said earlier. You know, it's incredible to think to put yourself in a situation of discomfort because as humans, we shy away from that. You know, it's like, why would I want to, you know, sleep on the floor or be in the ice? And, you know, you've climbed mountains barefoot, I believe. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. And you are. What's your why? What's your what's your mission? I really believe that if there is a purpose of life, it's to feel feeling that we are alive, feeling the cold, feeling the warm. It doesn't mean being always in the discomfort, but knowing to go there in order for then to feel amazing the rest of your time. Mm-hmm. And tell us a little bit about what's happening here in Dubai. You've got a couple of locations, you've got some events going on. How can we get involved? So I will tell you what I see in Dubai so far. I see a lot of beautiful places, a lot of amazing people. And what I see is that people want the best for themselves. But what is the point to go to the best hotel if we have insomnia? What is the point to go to the best restaurant if we have anxiety in the belly? So that's why I'm here with the tribe. And uh, we just have to go on Google, Tribe Superhuman or Ferdinand Tour Dubai. You will find me. We are doing events here one or two times a month. Big events, workshops. And it is just a transformative experience. I love this idea of connection of self, I suppose. And, you know, Dubai, as you say, it's beautiful places and beautiful people. Um, and it sounds like you're tapping into something that's perhaps a bit more... You know, I love Dubai so much. If we are just bringing back this new aspect of ourselves, it is not about forgetting our dreams. Go get the best car. Go get the best uh, partners and the best home. But please, get also the best for yourself inside. Mm-hmm. Well said indeed. Would you mind just uh, repeating the website? I've had a number of people asking. So it is um, tribesuperhuman.com. 
I've had a message going, I'm not sure about the ice bath, but I like his voice. Beautiful. It's a good start. <laughs> thank you very much. Maybe that's enough for you to dip a toe in. Absolutely. Thor, thank you so much for your time. It's thank been you, an absolute Elaine. pleasure. Fantastic to have you in Dubai. Um, hopefully we can tempt some more people beneath the ice cubes. Joining us in studio from the dental studio, we've got Dr. Hassan Attad. He is a general cosmetic dentist and I can tell you by his smile, a fantastic advert for his own work. How are you, Doc? I'm amazing, thank you. How are you? I'm really well, really well, except now I'm like hiding my teeth behind the microphone in case you go like, (laughs) Helen, you need to come into the clinic. Um, Can I ask you, what attracted you to being a dentist? Because I often think it's a bit of a weird thing to want to do looking in people's mouths when they're perhaps not even in their best possible state. It is a weird profession, isn't it? Staring at teeth and gums all day. Uh, To be honest, being Middle Eastern, I had maybe four or five options as a career (laughs) path. Go on, break them down. Doctor. Yes. Dentist. Mm -hmm. Lawyer. Yeah. Engineer. Mm -hmm. Pharmacist. And we went dental. We went dental. What was it that attracted you to that space? Um, I think with dentistry, you have the ability to see your work. You have the ability to treat patients. Mm -hmm. You have the ability to combine art and science. Um... And I think, you know, it was different to medicine or being a doctor because you could build that rapport with that patient over a long period of time. Whereas I found with being a doctor, sometimes you see that patient once and then... Never again. Class, gone. (laughs) And and I think also, um, and I I say this because I've got friends who've, you know, struggled with, you know, tooth pain and aesthetics. We perhaps underestimate just how important it is for presenting yourself to the world, feeling confident to smile in photos. That must be really rewarding from an aesthetic point of view, but also from like a, a pain point of yeah, view as I well. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing you know more rewarding for me, and, and you hit it on the nail there, it, in both the cosmetic element or relieving someone out of pain. You know, mm. when someone comes in and, and we know that tooth pain can be excruciating. Oh, it's- it's, it, it is one of the worst things when you have and, it. And there's no escaping. It's not like having a sore no, foot you, you put can't. it on a cushion. Like It's in your head. Exactly. It's so close to your brain that you wake up, it's there. You go to sleep, it's there. Mm-hmm. And, and having the ability to relieve someone from that is an amazing um, feeling. And I'm very grateful that I can do that. And then, you know, giving someone the confidence to be able to smile again. And we know how important a smile is to someone. Mm-hmm. Is You know, if you look at someone, probably the first things people notice are, your eyes or your smile and then... Do you find yourself, I just said this to Dr. Paul Nassif earlier from Botched about, do you find yourself, you know, dinner parties or out in the world being like, oh, I wish I could get my hands on you. Uh, uh, do you know what? The honest truth, yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> he it's, said no, I think he was fibbing. No, it's the, the first thing you d- I do is in my head sort of create a plan if, Ooh. but then sometimes what happens is when people find out at the dinner party you're a dentist, next thing you know you've got three people yeah. in their mouths going, what do you think I need? Ah... Uh, <laughs> So what's keeping you busy in clinic? What's coming in? Are you noticing any kind of trends or patterns or yeah. anything we could help people out with in general today? So uh, I think generally, you know, we always start with function and health. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, making sure that, like we said, patients are disease free. So looking after their teeth, ensuring, you know, um, we're trying to minimise the risk of decay and gum disease. That's that's highly prevalent at the moment. And we need to always focus on the treatments to help reduce that risk. And of course, being in Dubai, there is a high emphasis on cosmetic treatments. Um, so we do see, especially where I'm based, an incredible clinic in, um, in down in Marina, Marina Gate Dental Studios. We see a lot of patients asking for cosmetic work. Uh, I love doing cosmetic work. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And like I said, being able to restore someone's confidence and improve their self-esteem with a new smile is fantastic. But we have to do it ethically and we have to do it based on science. Mm-hmm. And sometimes... 
you know, I actually say I can't take this case on. Yeah, it's about managing expectations for one thing, but it's also about making sure um, that, you know, I guess a bit like decorating a house, you know, you you can't be doing this until you've got that foundations and those bare bones in place. I always say to patients, look, you know, if if someone was to come in and see me and, you know, they've got disease elsewhere, but they want veneers, I say to them, look, I can't build the mansion on quicksand. Mm -hmm. We have to get the foundations right. And at the same time, you know, I want my work to last a long time and I want them to be confident in their smile. And also the emphasis is you know, disease-free. That's what we want. That's the most important thing. We are going to go to the text line next. Joining us in studio from the dental studio, Dr. Hassan Assad. We've had questions about fear. We've had questions about being told you've had a strong tongue and feeling a bit sore afterwards. Uh, Nitin, we are going to come to your message. And Vince wants to know, could it be a sinus problem or could it be his teeth? We're going to unpack that message next. This content is for informational purposes only. If you would like to seek medical treatment, please contact a certified healthcare provider for personalised advice and diagnosis. For your dental clinic this hour, delighted to welcome to the studio Dr. Hassan Assad. He is from the dental studio there in Marina Gate, and we were just chatting off air about turkey teeth. Now, for anyone that's not familiar with turkey teeth, or indeed Dubai teeth, <laughs> what what are we talking about, Doctor? Um, we're talking about a quick cosmetic fix to enhance your smile. That's usually done in a way that's extremely damaging to your teeth. And long term, going to cause you further problems. Can they be very difficult to rectify? Because I'm thinking about veneers in particular. If a lot of tooth has been taken away, what does that leave you with to work with? Yeah. So, if you if you think of a tooth, it is extremely precious. That that tooth, you know, it needs to last you the rest of your life. We're seeing a big trend of young people mm-hmm. going abroad, having their teeth um, drilled down. And essentially getting crowns as opposed to veneers. Because a veneer is actually extremely thin. Mm-hmm. It, it does not cover the full surface of a tooth. And there's a misconception that I'm finding with patients saying, oh, I went to get veneers done. But actually they've had crowns done. And unfortunately, when you inform the patient properly and explain to them what they've had done, there is that shock element. Mm-hmm. And when that tooth is drilled, it's irreversible. We can't get that back. Yeah. So if you think you're having your tooth drilled down to become a stump, What's going to happen in 10, 15 years' time? It gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it and, really and, does. And, and even myself, sometimes when I see young patients, you know, that have had this, you know, quick fix, it's not the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. We, we need, there are different alternatives, and I appreciate that cost is usually the biggest factor. It's cost and time. Yeah, you know, cost and time. I, I was 100%. just saying to you that I've had, you know, Invisalign for a year and a half. I've just had two very, very, very thin veneers put on the front too, and only now when my attachments come off, the, and then I'll have to do whitening. And that's like a two-year process. Yeah, and it, it, is, it does take longer but you have to think about the bigger picture. Absolutely. You know, this is your health. These are your teeth. You want to keep them for the rest of your life. I hope so. I want them in my head. Your teeth look amazing. Thank so. you so much. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, it is, it, it is a, it's a very seductive idea to think about getting yeah. into a chair, paying less than you, you know, might, might do in another clinic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ultimately it, it's the long game. I think, I think our job as dentists is to ensure that patients see the value yeah. in, in what they're receiving. And it's the same way if you go and buy a Rolls Royce for 
a thousand dirhams <laughs> when really, you know, the a million dirhams. You need be, to ask yourself questions. Yeah, <laughs> it's too good to be true. It probably is. And it's yeah. going to be breaking down very soon indeed. Um, joining us on the line, we have AJ, who's wants to know a little bit about the difference when it comes to filling. So amalgam, composite. AJ, tell us what's going on with your teeth and how Dr. Hassan can help you this afternoon. Hello. Hi, AJ. Can you hear me? Hi. Uh, yeah. So I want to ask Dr. Hassan, uh, what is going to last me longer, an amalgam filling or a composite filling? Can you break it down for us in terms of types of filling? Yeah, of course. And what so, works? Uh, so, so, so a metal filling or a tooth-coloured filling? Um, to be quite frank with you, some people have had amalgam fillings for years and they're still there and they're doing absolutely great. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have had the white fillings. The difference between the two is, of course, the material. One of them is uh, made out of a resin, let's say like a plastic. Um, it's highly aesthetic and we can mold it a bit more to make it look like a tooth. Um, a metal filling, uh, an amalgam filling is a, a mixture of different metals that are placed in your mouth. The difference mainly for dentists is that when we place that filling material in with a metal filling, we have to sometimes remove more tooth structure. The reason that is, is because that metal is not bonded to your tooth. So we're not using like a glue and a special blue light to stick it together. Mm -hmm. It's locked in. In order to lock it in, we have to drill more tooth structure. So now you tend to see that a lot of dentists are phasing away from using metal fillings because of that reason. And there are other... Um, suggestions that some you know metal fillings um, leak mercury um, which is definitely something to, to to consider it is especially when you think about safely removing those absolutely fillings. yeah so in, in in the clinic in the way I operate and the dentist around me the dental studios in Marina Gate you know how we operate is we use special blue sheets called a rubber dam certain techniques to make sure that when we are removing these metal fillings if we're replacing them we're doing it safely if you have a metal filling and the tooth is clinically sound and the filling is clinically sound, nine times out of ten, I just monitor it and leave it. Okay. And what about um, cost as well? Is there any difference in terms of yeah. those types? So uh, white fillings tend to cost more purely because they are more technique sensitive. The materials required are, um, you know, costly. Cost, yeah. yeah, just costly, to put it to put frank. And also... Um, to, to do a white filling really well um, requires the dentist to do certain steps, whereas with a metal filling, it's kind of a two-step process. AJ, does that help? Does that help with your decision? Yeah, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Good luck. Keep us posted. Dr. Hassan's in the studio this afternoon. Uh, we've had a message from Vince saying, hi, both. Good timing. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I said, I'm in so much pain, right side of my face, around the cheekbone, jaw, upper teeth, and it's spreading a bit to the temple. I don't know what's causing it. I have had a cold for ages, just as it seems to be getting better. This pain has started, which is why I'm thinking maybe sinus infection. But it's only one side. I don't seem to have a lot of pressure there when I bend over, so maybe it's a tooth problem. I've had pain in the same area where I've had a fractured tooth but repaired. It doesn't hurt worse if I bite it. On the radio, it's quite difficult to of help course. diagnose. Um, what I would say is please give us a call and ho- hopefully I can see you in the studio ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> if not tomorrow, it, or one of my colleagues will definitely see you as soon as possible at the dental studios. Um, essentially with toothache, the first thing I would do is try and to help us as clinicians is write down almost like a pain history. So to anyone listening, if you're ever in pain, the, the simplest thing you could do is tell us how long the toothache is there, what area it's been, what makes it worse, what makes it better. Does painkillers help? Do painkillers help? Mm-hmm. Um, and to describe the pain. So is it a throbbing pain? Is it a tender pain? Is it a sensitive pain? Um, it's quite difficult and I hope I can help more in clinic, but we would probably need to see you in That's- person, take an x-ray 
and you know the way as clinicians the the way we diagnose we start from the outset and then work towards the middle and actually say right well it's not this because it can't be that mm. until we get to a proper diagnosis makes sense um vince i will send you dr hassan's details so you can contact the studio there um loads of questions coming in for you one from nitin uh, we're talking teeth but he's talking tongue says i was in the <laughs> dentist chair for an hour and a half on tuesday after the procedure she said i had a strong tongue and she had to really force it back since then it's been feeling really bruised it looks okay doesn't seem swollen but it's sore all along the left side to the extent where i can bear eat or talk I thought it would be improved by now uh, she said to take some anti-inflammatories which I'm doing no real improvement would love a second opinion um, funnily enough the tongue is probably the dentist arch nemesis <laughs> yeah and, and when we say to a patient don't move your tongue the first thing they do is start moving their tongue <laughs> um, what's probably uh, happened is you know your tongue is an extremely important muscle it's just fatigued it's tired um, you've, you've been in the chair for a long appointment so um, it's like going to the gym 100% and um <laughs> Hopefully within time it will get better. It's the same, you know, if you go to an event and you're constantly smiling mm -hmm. or talking a lot, your mouth is tired. Um, if things don't improve, you know, after a week, I would definitely recommend just popping back into the clinic and seeing your dentist and I'm sure they'll have no problem in just reviewing the area. Dr. Hassan with us this afternoon. We'll be going to the text line in just a few minutes. Liz is saying, I've, um, I have receding gums. I've seen an advert for a dental gel which helps the gum reform. Is it a real product or a scam? Gaz wants to know, is tooth loss genetic? Dad is 79, wears dentures, so I'm worried. And Mika, love this. I read that chewing a piece of gum is just as good as brushing your teeth. Surely not. We're going to be busting some myths and taking your questions on 4001. This content is for informational purposes only. If you would like to seek medical treatment, please contact a certified healthcare provider for personalised advice and diagnosis. For a free dental clinic, Dr. Hassan Assad of the Dental Studio. I understand you've got a bit of an unusual nickname. Mm -hmm. The Bearded Tooth Fairy. The Bearded Tooth Fairy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know where that came from, but maybe you can help because we've had a fear-based question. I know this yeah. is something that you're really passionate about. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, you guys do get a bit of a bad rap, don't you? So let's, let's bust some myths and, and help out Gina saying... Um, I do have a fear of the dentist that stemmed from when I was younger. I had a bad experience with the filling. A few weeks later, the dentist decided to remove my tooth. I was putting up a bit of a fight and the assistant held my arms while one held my head. I need to visit a dentist again as an adult, but I feel really, really anxious. Any suggestions? It's a real fear. It, it is. And I always try to empath empathise with my patients. Mm. Um, dental anxiety is definitely a thing. Um, and, you know, part of the reasons why I am called the bearded tooth fairy, I know it sounds really ridiculous, but every time I speak to a patient or, you know, tell them, oh, this is my name, I try to break that ice. Yeah. At the end of the day, although I am a dentist, I like to get on the level with my patients. And I think I, I understand a lot. I mean, obviously, that sometimes it's a situation that's created a fear in Gina's case. Sometimes I think it's a lack of control. You know, you're in a situation yeah. where the other person has the knowledge they're going to be putting their hands in your mouth. You don't know what they're doing. And yeah. I think your point there about communication is so, so important. Communication for me is the most important thing with dealing with dental anxiety. So, you know, the way we work at the dental studios is we're lucky enough to have some incredible equipment that allows our patient to understand the problem they have. Mm. I mean, the way I work, I like to take photos of every single stage I do. And if you go on my Instagram, you'll see that. Um, and that's not just for me, but it's actually for the patient. Because even if it's a simple filling, I will show them step by step. I will tell them what's about to happen before I do it. And I'll make sure they're okay throughout the procedure. 
And I really like to break the ice in that room. You know, most of my patients come in, we put something on the TV, that on the ceiling. A lot of the time, actually, patients now, although I get, oh, I hate you, I hate being here. That's normally the first thing a dentist gets. Um, <laughs> You're used to it now. I'm used to it now, yeah. Skin. Yeah, sometimes I say, oh, I hate you back. Just to, <laughs> and then they look at me like, what? <laughs> and then they smile and everything's yeah, fine. Exactly. And, and you know, some now a lot of my anxious patients look forward to coming to the dentist because it's their break. They get to you know, sit down, they get to watch TV, no one can have a go at them. Do you know what? I had four wisdom teeth taken out in the same go and I had a lovely little Xanax and I watched National Geographic and it, was like, it, it was like a cruise. I've seen I've <laughs> seen all the National Geographics. I've seen every documentary now. So. It was orangutans for, yeah. for what it's worth. And, and for me, the essence is understanding what it is that caused that anxiety and then working at their pace, mm-hmm. putting the control with that patient and I'd love to, is it, would you say it was Gina? Gina. Yeah, I mean, Gina, if you, if, if you are still listening, please pop into the dental studios in Marina Day and I'd love to have a chat to you about it and then we can maybe, you know, work together on fixing this. Really hope that helps but I think it's very, it's really important to normalise that there's a, a fear but there are people who care enough to make you yeah. feel comfortable and turn that around. Let's talk gums. Liz has been in touch saying, I have receding gums. I saw an advert for dental gel that helps the gums reform. Is this a real product or a scam thank you um i'm going to have to say scam from just the the sound of it um receding gums is very common there are several factors which cause it whether you're brushing too hard whether um, your gums have moved whether you have periodontal disease so advanced gum disease um the first thing again that i would say if, if you are concerned about that is to drop into the clinic um, see myself or uh, one of our amazing um, gum specialists um who can you know have a look at, at these areas um but nine times out of ten if you see something from the shelf that is going to fix a disease it's a scam um especially you know on instagram you always see this tooth whitening blue light yes it it, it, it just doesn't work and and you know if toothpaste can whiten your teeth tooth whitening wouldn't be done professionally we, we wouldn't do it professionally it wouldn't be a treatment saying with gums my bearded tooth fairy friend. Um, no name on this one. You can always get in touch, be completely anonymous, saying, my question's about a gummy smile. If there's no space to do lasering of gums, what else can be done? Um, again, it's very difficult for me to to tell you without looking at the gums or... Yeah, send me get, a picture. Send me a picture. Yeah, we, we, we need to see it. Um, so a lot of the time with gummy smiles, um, there are you know different treatments we can do, whether it's simply using a laser to remove some of the excessive gum. Sometimes what we actually do, although it sounds really you know invasive, it's something called technically crown lengthening, which basically just means we increase the amount of tooth on show. In order to do that properly, we can't just laser away gum. We actually have to very gently remove a bit of bone. Um, and then basically uh, place the gum back over it. Now, again, this sounds a lot worse than it actually is. It's a simple procedure that we do in the clinic. Um, Our gum specialist, uh, Manuel, he's brilliant. He does that quite often. And myself and the other amazing dentists, whether it's the orthodontist or the other cosmetic dentists, we all work together. The patient's always in the middle. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, the patient, it's a team. And and dentistry is a team, whether it's, you know, the the dentist, the nurses, the support staff, the, the marketing team, you know, the people that run the show dentistry is a team effort and the patient is always in the middle of that and that's the most important thing i will send you the details for um dr hassan and you say it was dr manuel 
Yes, he's uh, he works alongside okay. me today. There you go. Yeah. And you can have a chat. Um, a message here from uh, mum saying, my seven-year-old's front lateral incisor tooth fell out about five months ago and a new tooth has not come up in its place. Should I be concerned? Um, do we have details whether it's the top or bottom? I don't... Front lateral... Front, I don't yeah. know. I'm guessing... So front I, I don't know why I'm guessing front. Yeah. I don't know why I picture it as front. So front lateral could be either the bottom um, second tooth or the top second tooth um most of the time it will come through um to just be extremely sure and certain sometimes um genetically some of these teeth don't like to come through the only way we can confirm that is by taking a special x-ray which goes around your child's head um this gives us a lot of information including the position of the teeth mm. the baby teeth and which adult teeth are present um i wouldn't google and look at ages of when certain teeth because boys and girls are also different um and the ages that we know and we learn it's a rough figure um you know some children have delayed eruptions some are very early but to be completely sure definitely book in or see your dentist to have a, a review of the area i know your answer to this is going to be it depends but if i'm actually saying i need an implant how to choose the best and what are the steps why might someone need an implant and what options are available doctor um so an implant is a incredible um technological advancement really that's happened over the last 20 to 30 years that allows a patient to have a tooth again so um an implant is placed in um it's to replace a missing tooth um what was the question? How to choose the best one? How do you choose the best one? Mm. So there's, it really depends on the person placing that implant. Um, there's different materials, different types of implant. Um, every, you know, dentist. There are certain, let's say, manufacturers that are known in the market for producing good quality implants the dentist placing that implant will know what's comfortable in their hands and then it also depends on the space it depends on where the implant is it depends on the type of bone um the implant is being placed into it again i'm sorry if this answer is quite ambiguous but no, no, it but, is but so it's tricky yeah and and ultimately you know if you're going to a clinic where there's a um an implantologist or an oral surgeon placing these implants they'll know what works best in their hands and they'll want to do the best treatment for you okay so they'll pick the best product that will be placed there how do you feel about busting some myths let's do it we've got a question uh from mika saying i've read that chewing a piece of gum is just as good as brushing your teeth surely not um i don't know whether there's scientific evidence to back this so remember we are a healthcare profession so we use science but chewing gum uh free gum i must add is very beneficial in the sense that it um stimulates your saliva flow now your saliva is, is incredible your body you know has the ability to actually repair itself against early decay so decay is caused by acid attack that happens when uh, sugars are broken down by bacteria in your mouth now if you are stimulating your saliva um, the saliva has special chemicals that can neutralize that acid so with stimulating your saliva you're going to have that flowing around so that's amazing that's mm. great but brushing your teeth twice a day is the most you know the simplest thing you can do to prevent dental disease and dental disease is the most common preventable disease so you know tooth decay etc uh, brush before breakfast i will add and brush last thing before bed spit don't rinse and you're looking at me like why brush before breakfast no because i oh, do oh good good <laughs> no no i do it's, it's interesting it's just because it's something i was having a chat with my daughter about the yeah. day and she was like well what's the point because i'm because i'm well, just going to eat it, it links again to how we were talking about the saliva you've been asleep this whole time so your saliva flow isn't been forming mm. your mouth is dry um, and you need to use a toothpaste that does have fluoride fluoride is the, an, 
very important um, chemical that helps you know neutralize and protect your teeth it's like a it, it's your guard to your teeth um, so when you place that application of fluoride with the toothpaste first thing in the morning before you've eaten you've basically placed a shield across your teeth give it a bit of time definitely don't drink orange juice straight away because it tastes horrible <laughs> um, and then your, your your teeth are guarded ready for that first you know cornflakes or that omelette or that Eggs Benedict, whatever you're having, or that coffee. Right, fancy pants. <laughs> Last question from Gaz saying, Is tooth loss genetic? My dad is 79, wears dentures, so I'm worried. Dot, dot, dot. We've got less than a minute. Can you give us a quick answer? Uh, quick answer is no, slash, there can be genetic diseases which can increase the susceptibility of tooth loss, which I'm sorry is not the answer you were looking for, but. Most of the time, tooth loss is caused by a preventable disease such as advanced gum disease or tooth decay. However, there are some genetic diseases, unfortunately, that do increase your susceptibility to that. If you are concerned, please pop in. I'd love to see myself and I can give you advice on that. Thank you so, so much, Dr. Hassan Assad. He is the general cosmetic dentist um, at the Marina Gate branch of Dental Studio. And as you said, working alongside a fantastic team there across all sorts of different disciplines. One last question from me. Is there anything that you do or don't do, avoid to keep your teeth looking and feeling as healthy as possible? Um, Reduced, cut down on smoking. Just don't do it. Yeah, don't do that. Um, Drink a lot of water. Um, You know, Avoid things that are going to stain your teeth um, and really just look after them in the sense. Do your normal brushing twice a day. Do your cleaning in between your teeth. That's really important. So flossing or using interdental aids to reduce the risk of dumb disease. And visit your dentist at least once a year and visit your hygienist, I like to think, twice a year. And then if there's anything else or if you have any other concerns, you can follow me on Instagram at the Bearded Tooth Fairy and I'll be happy to uh, <laughs> help you all. I'll see you in clinics hopefully soon. The Bearded Tooth Fairy. You'll remember that one. Thank you so, so much. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Joining us now, we have a student. It is never too late or in my next guest case too early to become an entrepreneur. He's only... You're only 10 years old, Connor. How are you? I'm good. Now, we're talking teachers today, um, and I don't want to get you in trouble by, you know, not choosing lots of teachers, but do you have a favourite teacher, someone you think? Uh, Yeah, last year I had a really good teacher called Mr. Roberts, and now he's my sister's teacher, and he, like, encouraged me last year to start my business. Right, let's talk about this business. You've started your own where did it all begin? What is the business and where did the idea come from? So on my birthday, uh, I was like scrolling through my YouTube and I saw this thing where people were making mini skateboards and I thought it was really interesting. So I watched a video and I thought it was really interesting. So I asked my mum for all of the materials to make the fingerboard on my birthday and none of them arrived on my actual birthday. Oh, no. So all of the things that arrived were just, like, the screws and bolts. So then, like, the, uh, on November, uh, the things arrived. And, uh, like, I started making my fingerboards. And I brought them into school. And all of my friends really liked, liked the idea. 
And some of them even bought the fingerboards without my mum knowing. No, okay. Well, we should say that Sonal Rupani, that was just in the studio now, she's a customer of yours, and your fingerboard sits in the desk that we share. Now, for anyone who's not familiar with what a fingerboard is, can you describe it? Can you tell us what they are and what they do? So it's like a mini skateboard, and you can do all of the different tricks you can do on a normal skateboard just with your fingers. And you're making them. Yeah. So what do you need to make one? You mentioned nuts and screws there. Is it made out of wood? What And there's little wheels? So they're made out of five layers of veneer wood that I layer together, put in a press overnight. And then uh, and then I paint. And then we have to cut them with a buzzsaw. So I let my mum help me do that. Good move. And then uh, we put the uh, screws and bolts in some of them. But some of them are like make it series where you can assemble them yourself. Oh, that's a cool idea. And you mentioned the the look of them as well. They're all really individual. So are you painting them, designing them? Yeah, they're all hand painted by me and my brother and sister do a few of them too. So you you are selling them. I've just got a message, Connor, for you saying, go, Connor, you are the coolest, smartest and most creative CEO we know. Keep up the amazing work. We're so proud of you. That's from Mo, Lean and the family. You have fans listening today, Connor, for your business. So who's been buying your fingerboards apart from celebrity radio presenters like so Rapani? Who are your customers? Uh, so I have a few of my friends who are my customers and also uh, another radio presenter. Um, what's it? Uh, I can't remember his name. Not Sonal Rapani. Sonal's number one radio uh, presenter. So... Oh, uh, let me just remember. And you're selling them as well? Where can people yeah. buy them? So on the 28th, I'm going to be at the Arte Market. And you can also buy my fingerboards at flipfingerboarding.ae. Um, so how many do you think you've sold? Uh, I think uh, online we've sold about 50 or so or more. And then we, and then like outside, I think maybe like five at 400. What? Wow. Is this yeah. something you want to do in the future when you think about growing up? Is it, do you want to be, do you want to be a businessman? Or are you thinking, what are you thinking? I want to be an engineer, but like I'll still have my business like on the side so I can still run it. Yeah, absolutely. You can't give this up. Um, you've got some in front of you now. Um, yeah. So they, I have to say, guys, they are so cute. They make me want to put like a little hamster on them. They could be like skateboards for pets. I know <laughs> we're not saying that's not the proper use for them, but they are so adorable. Can you say the website again for me, Connor? Uh, flipfingerboarding.ae Guys, hop on over there and Arte Market, 28th of October. You can yeah. meet Connor. You can buy your flipboards. Um, and I just want to say you are just an absolute little legend. Connor, thank you so much for coming in. Congratulations. Sky's the limit. Business breakfast next, right? You're going yeah. to come in and talk about world domination. Massive hero, Connor. What an absolute superstar. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.